Give you a final update on the markets for this week. The ASX 200 in Australia is off 0.4%. Over in Japan, the Nikkei 225 is sliding a third of a percent. Stocks in South Korea moving the other direction. They're up about 0.8%. Um, and in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is going to open about half a percent firmer by the looks of things in, uh, in an hour's time. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil, $50.46 a barrel, and gold is at $1,838 an ounce. Do stay tuned to Radio 3. Back chat's coming up with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings in just a moment. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast. Sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be milder during the day in the next couple of days. One or two rain patches in the morning and at night. And then temperatures dropping significantly during the day on Monday. The temperature right now is 21 degrees and it's 86% relative humidity. Just coming up to 8.31, here's Pierre Tremblay with the half-hour news. Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said there's a strong possibility that his government will not reach a post-Brexit deal with the European Union before the current transition ends in three weeks' time. That would see the re-imposition of tariffs on World Trade Organization terms. However, he said he was still willing to discuss the issue. The UK will continue to do everything we possibly can. And uh, as I say, I stand ready to talk to anybody, our friends and partners in the EU, uh, whenever they want. At the moment, I have to tell you, in all candour, it's, it's the, the, the treaty's not there yet, and that was the strong view of, uh, of our cabinet as well. Earlier, the European Union set out contingency proposals aimed at avoiding the worst disruption in the event of a no deal. It's proposed temporary reciprocal arrangements on road and air links and fishing. The short-term letting website Airbnb has marked a successful first day of trading on the U.S. stock market. Its shares closed more than double the price at which they were offered. It marks a dramatic recovery for Airbnb from the impact of the coronavirus crisis. From New York, here's the BBC's Michelle Fleury. The pandemic has devastated the travel and hospitality business, so it might be surprising that Airbnb has been able to make its stock market debut at this time. But it has, and not only that, investors have been rushing to buy shares in the company. The chief executive, Brian Chesky, told the BBC, we are still in a storm. We don't know how long the storm is going to last. The firm has raised as much as $3.5 billion from the share sale. It plans to use the money to navigate the crisis. Parliament in the Himalayan Kingdom of Bhutan has approved a bill to legalise gay sex. It's the latest Asian country to take steps to ease restrictions on same-sex relationships. A senior Bhutanese MP said homosexuality will not be considered unnatural from now on. The changes must be approved by the king to become law. Activists have welcomed the move, saying it was a victory for the country's LGBT, LGBT community. Canadian officials say they've been assured by Beijing that two Canadians detained on the mainland have not been tried for spying, contradicting what a foreign ministry spokeswoman in Beijing said. Steve Dunthorne has more. Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Hua Chunying said yesterday that Hong Kong-based former diplomat Michael Kovrig and businessman Michael Spavor had already been on trial. She was questioned about the case at a regular press briefing two years to the day after the pair were detained. In a statement, Canada's Foreign Affairs Ministry said its embassy in Beijing had clarified that this was not the case. China had blamed a mischaracterization by the spokeswoman for the confusion. The case of the two Michaels has been intertwined with that of the Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou, who was fighting a US attempt to extradite her from Canada. Next news at nine.
Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chivers and your co-host today, Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about COVID, compulsory testing and also about heated tobacco products. Well, the city reported 112 new cases yesterday. Health officials have warned of a 77% rise in untraceable infections in the community over the past week. And the government's ordered anyone who's present at five specific premises to go for mandatory testing. All residents living in the Cowan Bay housing block facing the same direction will be moved to quarantine centres after a government advisor said the virus might have spread through the building's sewage pipes. What do you make of the mandatory testing? Is the outbreak getting out of control. What about the idea of lockdowns in certain estates? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call. And our telephone number is 233-88266. 233-88266. After 9.15, we're going to be talking about heated tobacco products, whether they help people to give up smoking. Uh, your thoughts, uh, your observations, your questions and comments, of course, very welcome. Once again, two three three eight eight two six six is the uh, number. We had we had a nice, uh, rather something rather different yesterday uh, in the program. Was we were joined by uh, Father Christmas uh, himself. Um, an email from uh, Anthony who says, uh, "Dear Santa Hugh, Finland is one of the happiest countries in the world. You know why? Because they have saunas." Ho, ho, ho. God bless Father Christmas and the world. That comes from that was a popular show yesterday, wasn't it, Hugh? It was. It was very popular. Yeah, and you I just seemed to have to say, a lot of calls. We did. We did. And I'm sorry that we did, we, we we were slightly taken by surprise. I think uh, we had we had a lot of calls. We had more calls than we had for the chief executive. Yes, I, I was thinking about that. I mean, I've done a lot of back chats, and we don't even the the policy address phone, and you you don't get as many calls as Santa Claus, do you? No, we don't. We don't. So uh, um, I'm sorry if you weren't able to get through. He'll be back next year. I He'll presume. be back next year. Maybe yeah. even for, even for the whole show. Uh, maybe we'll do a longer a, a longer segment if we can in time him back yeah 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 so um stand by for christmas christmas uh, 21 uh joining us now uh we have uh, professor ben cowling head of the division of epidemiology and biostatistics at the school of public health and dr gabriel Choi, who's president of the hong kong medical association uh, others will be joining us later uh in the program professor cowling good morning to you uh, uh, it's you know these worrying signs, as I mentioned, uh, this large increase in untraceable uh, infections. Um, how do you read the situation now? Uh, what's going on? I, I have noticed that some of those untraceable cases will subsequently be linked up, and actually they're not untraceable. It's not that they're impossible to to trace how they got infected or who they're connected with. It just hasn't been done that quickly in some cases. Um, and so what we've seen is those, the, the, the proportion of untraced cases actually comes down. If you look back after a few days, the, the, the percentage is lower than it initially was on the day it was reported. Um, but it's still a concern that there are infections in the community that we're not aware of. Uh, we, we don't know where they're coming from. I'm always worried when I hear about these housing blocks that have cases about whether it's just that if we look in other housing blocks in the city, there'd also be a few cases uh, as well. And so they, you know, the, a few of these blocks get picked on as, as the, the high-risk blocks. But actually, it's possible there's cases in other parts of the city that we're not aware of. Now, as, as you're aware, the system they use now, basically they give us an indication of the figures a day in advance because uh, yesterday they said there were 50 preliminary positive cases. Now, if that carries through to, 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 to today and no more are added, that will be uh, the announcement today will be substantially lower in recent days. Does, does that really make uh, a difference? 
let's see. I, I think we had 100 or something yesterday. I would expect it's still going to be a lot of cases today and the next few days. I think next week we're going to see below 100 a day, I, I hope anyway. Ooh. And then we'll start to see things coming down in to, towards the end of the month and January. Why, 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 not to get confident, but why, why, why do you think the next week we're going to see a fall in the numbers? Uh, so if we remember what happened in March and then in July, case numbers tended to go up and up and up. And then once the government introduced the social distancing measures and once people went along with them and changed their behaviours, then the numbers started to come down. But there was a delay. There's always a delay of seven to ten days, maybe two weeks at most, between when the interventions are put in place and when the effects can be seen. And all the social distancing measures that have been put in, put in place was only a week ago, the, the civil service working at home and so on. And so I think probably we've got a few more days before we really see the impact of those measures and we see the, the numbers start to come down rather than staying at the level they've been at in the, in the past few days. I guess the one thing that's different is uh, the more aggressive approach from, from the from the uh, government when it comes to uh, testing, for example, talk of mandatory testing, and also talk of um, uh, lockdowns or you know closing estates in particular uh, where there have been uh, outbreaks. Um, do you think those are necessary? Do you think those are useful? Do you support those, Ben Cowley? No? Okay. Maybe if I could put that to Gabriel Choi. Dr. Choi? Yes, I think <clears throat> mandatory testing is uh, useful, at least in the uh, doctor's sector. Uh, the mandatory testing order uh, produced over 1,000 samples a day and a positive rate of 1.35%, uh, which is higher than that uh, obtained from airport uh, uh, tracing and from uh, uh, high-risk occupational tracing. So. Uh, it it costs uh, uh, government to detect those uh, who are relatively asymptomatic in the community. Now, the, the, the difficulty right now is um, the, the CHP and the Department of Health do not have the necessary manpower to do the, do the contact tracing because they, the, the, the two departments are overwhelmed by the numbers. Uh, they have the same number of uh, people working uh, when the uh, epidemic uh, is uh, having only a few person, a few infected person a day, and now it's over 100 and ele uh, 117 yesterday. So the manpower part is uh, definitely uh, uh, in, in shortage. And if they cannot do the contact tracing, then they cannot identify all the high-risk uh, uh, high people uh, to get them uh, tested and quarantined. Uh, I think they, they, they bet that... Yeah, they they basically admitted that they 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 just they just can't handle the contact tracing with these kind of numbers, right? Yes, I, I think that that is the main. I think government needs to utilize uh, more interdepartmental uh, help to uh, assist in the contact tracing. As far as I know, if one <clears throat> in one case uh, where the infected person is a lady policewoman, uh, the police uh, uh, phone up the doctor and ask for the name of the contacts in the clinic uh, on that particular day to assist in contact tracing. So uh, they can do this for other uh, 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 infected people as well. Uh, but I, I don't think they're doing it uh, uh, for all. Ben, ben Cowling, are you there, Professor Cowling? Yeah, sorry, 
yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah so as, as I was saying, you know, there, there seems to be this kind of new emphasis, I guess, on 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 uh, outbreaks and um, you know the geographical locations and outbreaks. So you've got this mandatory testing for certain specific sites, literally building sites in, in some cases, uh, and talk of uh, you know sealing off areas, sealing off buildings uh, or estates for a very sort of a hardcore lockdown like that. Um, do you think that's necessary? Do you think that's useful? I'd like to know what the yield is. So we always think about where we target our efforts. And you just talked about contact tracing. There's two elements of that. Uh, so one of them is when we find a case, we want to find out who they might have infected, maybe their family members. And if you remember the dance hall cluster, it didn't work that well because some of the, the cases in the dance hall cluster didn't really go along with the contact tracing. They didn't really say where they'd been. And, and it was only found out later. There was a guy, I remember, went to the sanatorium hospital and didn't tell anyone that his wife was a case. So that was, that was a failure of contact tracing in that sense. But the other reason we really want to do contact tracing is to look back and see if we know where people were infected and link up the common factors. Like there's one case who went to place A, B, and C. Another case went to A, D, and E. And so the common factor might be A, and then we look in the other cases and see if they went to place A as well. Maybe it's a bar or a gym. And that's how we figure out where these outbreaks occurred. When the numbers of cases are small, it's easy to do that. When there's 100 or more cases and you've got even... Even you've got the manpower to do the contact tracing. I'm not sure practically how you'd figure out that there's outbreaks in A and a, you know an F and an H, but not the other places, because that involves integrating all the information. At the moment, if there's one person doing contact tracing for one case, that's 100 cases in 100 different people's heads or the bits of paper that they're using to write down all this information on, and it's not really you know it's not going to be easy to figure out the commonalities in the same way as when there's only 10 cases and you've got the contact tracing team sitting around a table talking about the 10 cases that day and where they've been and um, where might, what might be the links between them. So I think that's been a, a problem in, in the last two weeks. And then the knock-on problem for us is if the contact tracing isn't pulling its weight, we need to do more social distancing to make up for it. You look at what's happening in the UK, uh, in, in uh, the US, in Europe, they're having to do much more stringent social distancing than we are because they're not doing test and trace. But if in Hong Kong the test and trace stops working, then it's a problem for us because we're going to need to do more social distancing to, to make sure we keep transmission under control. And so your, your specific question is about the, the value of testing in these building sites and other outbreak locations. That's fine as long as there's a, a reasonable yield of the tests. It's a similar concept to contact tracing where we put the contacts in quarantine and we want to judge whether it was worth doing. So among those contacts were a reasonable number of them actually positive for the infection. When we look at Richland Gardens Block D, if I heard there might be a thousand people that have been sent to quarantine. If it turns out that all thousand are negative, was it really worth it? But on the other hand, if there were tens of infections among those residents, then it probably was worth it because we, we, we prevented those infections from being able to spread further in the community. And that's the targeted measure that we really want so that the rest of us don't have to do so much social distancing. But it, it, it's difficult to, to get it right. Uh, Dr Choi, I think we're expecting an announcement from the government probably today about the, the new quarantine regime for incoming, passenger, uh, incoming uh, arrivals in Hong Kong and going to designated hotels in uh, designated transport. Um, how much difference do you think that will make? I think it makes a lot of difference. The, the last uh, two waves probably resulted in inefficient uh, uh, quarantine, quarantine of these uh, overseas uh, returnees. So uh, having vaccinated cars and vaccinated hotels and uh, uh, really strict quarantine will 
really assist in further pre, uh, in prevention of the uh, spread. But I think the most important thing right now is to get the vaccine uh, into Hong Kong as quickly as possible. But there's no timetable. There's no timetable for Hong Kong, is there? Really? No. I mean, they, we, the government's been very vague about when they will have um, vaccine doses available for Hong Kong. Yes, we, we, we will. I think the only thing uh, good about this is that we will be observing the side effects of the vaccines uh, from overseas. I think uh, I was told that uh, in UK the, the, there was a case of anaphylaxis after vaccination, and another case of side effects. So. We'll be observing these closely, but uh, I think uh, the mass vaccination is the way to go to prevent the further spread of the uh, of the infection. Uh, Professor Cowlin, how about the, on vaccinations? Where it, it seems like Hong Kong is going to have to wait a long time after um, uh, countries like the US and the UK. Yeah, that's that's right. So I, I think next summer we will see some some vaccines. Some people have been vaccinated to Hong Kong. So if we we were able to get. 15 million, one, one five million doses of vaccine next summer so we could give two doses to everyone and then go back to normal in September. We, we'd love that to happen. That would be ideal. What if, though, we only get a million doses every month starting next April or May and so it's going to take more than a year. We're going to be into summer of 2022 before we've reached 15 million doses and being able to give everyone two doses. Are we really going to wait that long before we start to go back to normal? Or are we going to draw the line somewhere a little bit earlier, maybe after we vaccinated elderly, high-risk elder, high-risk adults, healthcare workers, key workers, other vulnerable people. At that point, you know, maybe that's after two million or three million people have been vaccinated. Even though we haven't reached the seventy percent that, that we are hoping for of, of vaccinated population herd immunity, if we get to that point, maybe next September, October, November, where we've done enough, are we just going to say that that's enough? Enough? Enough is enough, and let's go back to normal. I don't know, and I don't know how many doses we'll be able to get and how soon we'll be able to get them. We, we haven't really heard that. A couple of uh, emails and, and on uh, other topics. Uh, one relating to uh, the outbreak at uh, Richland Gardens. Um, we had a, a comment... Uh, from a listener, and I can find it here on Facebook, uh, John John Herbert, uh, who is an, an engineer, saying, and nobody remembers SARS. Poor drainage systems spread disease, including COVID nineteen. Look at these photos, and he's got a link to, um, uh, I think, from his from his own website of uh, sort of a poor drainage and the uh, pipes being misconnected and uh, and so on. Uh, um, ben Cowling, are you? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that and about what's happened to Richland Gardens? Yeah, in, in 2003, we had the big outbreak in Amoy Gardens, uh, also in Kowloon uh, Bay Area, with 300 and uh, more than 300 cases of SARS linked to maybe faulty drainage in, in one of the apartments there. Richland Gardens could be the same. Uh, let's see what, what, what ends up happening within the next week or two. But um, I, I don't know. We, we haven't seen so much spread uh, of covid through drainage systems in the past. We haven't seen big outbreaks in, in residential blocks, uh, although there have been opportunities. I, I remember a number of blocks being investigated in previous waves for similar scenarios. Um, and now there's a very close eye on those thousand residents who've been quarantined. I'm sure they're going to be tested a few times. So we'll find out if there really has been that kind of spread and if, if other residential blocks also need to think more carefully about about their drainage systems and whether there's a risk there if there was a case in, in their block. Has, has it been reported overseas, do you know, of uh, outbreaks 
that have been attributed to, um, you know, plumbing issues like this? No, I, I haven't heard reports of that overseas. Um, um, and I, there, there are plenty of big cities with people living in big apartment blocks where it, it might have been apparent if there was mm. an outbreak linked to the drainage. Um, but then I, I do know that in Hong Kong, we're much more on top of individual cases than they are in many other parts of the world. And, um, you know, we're confirming every case with lab testing, we're documenting them, we're doing the contact tracing, the investigation, whereas in Europe and, and North America, they're really not doing the same type of tracking and, and type of investigations. Sure. They, they, they don't know what's going on. All right. Uh, and, and the other issue was uh, about um, sport and uh, outdoor activities. Uh, Leslie Ann in an email says, Dear Backchat, can you ask someone in the government why they've decided to close all golf, tennis and outdoor sports, along with the gyms, massage parlours, etc.? We continually hear from the so-called government experts about how it's so much better to be out in the fresh air as the chance of virus transmission is extremely low. If they're worried about the changing facilities, then why can't they stipulate that, they arrive, that you arrive and leave in your sports gear and have a share at home? Closing all these facilities makes no sense at all and will only serve to herd people towards shopping malls and house parties, i.e. all the places that you are in close contact in, which will only add to the spread of the disease. Sadly, this is just another ill-thought-through plan served from our incompetent government. That comes uh, from Leslie Ann. And Sonny says, on the topic of closing outdoor sports facilities, it shows how incompetent and unthoughtful the government is. I'm sure people would be willing to wear masks, and the government can control the number of people in these outdoor facilities. The one-size-fits-all is too easy, but also it reflects uh, incompetence. And uh, beaches have also been closed, I think, uh, last night as well. Dr Choi, what, what do you think about the closure of those outdoor sports facilities? Do you think it's a good move? I have to admit with the audience that uh, this is not well planned. I personally think that uh, if you close all outdoor sports, uh, many of our citizens will not have the ability to um, get their muscles in shape and uh, get their physique uh, in proper, uh, proper status. So I, I am uh, against uh, closing all outdoor I think distancing, yes, but closing all outdoor facilities, even if uh, you insist on putting the mask on, uh, is not fair. Uh, Professor Cowling, what's your opinion on closing outdoor sports facilities? I, I, I do think it's a good idea to encourage people to do outdoor activities, but I, I, I slightly disagree with the caller earlier who said, why can't we just do the sports but have the changing rooms closed? Because it's the changing rooms that really pose a risk more so than the actual sports outdoors. Um, it, it's difficult, though. Then if people really need to use the washroom, what are they going to do? I, I remember hearing reports back in July or August that at the beaches, although the toilets were closed, there were a lot of people just uh, uh, using the natural facilities, that you could say, uh, if they needed to go to the washroom. And that's not ideal from hy a hygienic point of view. So it, it is a little bit more complicated, but I do wish the government would promote more outdoor activities right now it's really a good idea to close indoor sports facilities and and gyms because of the danger of covid right now but outdoor there's really minimal risk yeah i know you say that but also there have been um but building sites have been listed as uh centers for for outbreaks yeah Isn't but i think that when, when the investigations are done into those i think they'll find this in the common areas the the containers that they use for their well, they offices and something. their changing facilities okay. and their the washrooms, I don't think there'll be a lot of transmission actually outdoors in the open air, uh, even on those building sites. Okay, we have a call. <coughs> we have a caller, Dan. Caller Dan, good morning. Yes, good morning. 
Good morning, uh, Hugh and Danny. And I want to say, first of all, that I'm sure Mike Rouse is happy you're covering COVID on Friday because that means you probably won't cover it on Monday. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mike and COVID on, on Mondays. Um, anyway, uh, first of all, Dr. Cowling, I want to thank you. Uh, a heartfelt thanks from me personally, and I think from all the people who've heard you share through these months because you've been a voice of reason and clarity in a series of fear and folly. So thank you very much. Uh, Professor Cowling? Thank you very much, it's very kind. Uh, Dan, did you have any, uh, any, any further comments on the situation? Oh, I sure do, I sure do. I've got a couple of questions. The first one is personal. Uh, my wife and son are in Singapore and I've been traveling down there for the last five years, once or twice a month for a long weekend. I haven't seen them since December of 2019 because of COVID. So my big personal question for Dr. Cowling is, any, can you look into your crystal ball and make an educated guess as to when we might be able to do the Singapore travel bubble? Try it again. Oh, I was really disappointed that the bubble burst um, without really having a chance to start. I think what, what we're going to need in the next six months is a period of time when Hong Kong's at zero and Singapore is also at zero because... Right now, the bubbles burst on our side, but if we get down to zero and then Singapore has a resurgence, I think it's going to burst on their side instead. My guess is by next September, we will have vaccinated enough people here and Singapore will have vaccinated enough people there that we'll just decide it's time to kind of get back to normal. We'll stop having the restrictions on visitors. We'll stop having the 14-day quarantine on arrivals. Even if there's some COVID around, we may have some social distancing from time to time, but we'll try and start to get back to normal. So that would be next September. Okay, that's a pretty gloomy picture, isn't it? That sounds kind of gloomy. One, one other question, a very important one I've not heard raised so far here in Hong Kong. It's my understanding that the Pfizer vaccine and maybe some of the others are not appropriate for children. They've not been tested properly for children. And it could take months more for that to take place. So how is that going to impact the children of Hong Kong? Maybe we bring in Gabriel Choi here. Gabriel Choi, you were talking about uh, va va the, the vaccines before. How about the issue of vaccines and children? I think uh, we, have to, we have to watch and wait. I think, I think uh, uh, unless the drug firm uh, put the safety indication uh, with, their, uh, with their vaccine, otherwise uh, we should not be vaccinating uh, without the uh, proper instructions. Uh, Professor Cowling? So the clinical trials are always done on adults first. We wouldn't try a new vaccine on children. We do on adults first, and that's been done. But Dern are now doing trials in adolescents, in teenagers. And I think if those go well, then they'll go down to the younger age groups. But remember, for COVID, really the vulnerable groups are the older adults and people with underlying medical conditions. We've seen almost no problems with COVID around the world. In children, uh, it's almost always asymptomatic or very, very mild. Very, very, very few deaths reported in children worldwide from COVID. So even if we end up vaccinating older adults, middle-aged adults, healthcare workers, other people, we don't vaccinate children, I don't think it'll be a big problem in Hong Kong. I think we'll still want to go back to normal. Um, and coronavirus may still circulate as a common cold infection, but it won't be causing the kind of numbers of hospitalizations and deaths in the elderly that we've seen in the past year. But hasn't the government been expressing concern about how this latest wave has been affecting people younger than before and more seriously? Yeah, no, I've looked at that as well. I've been looking at the data as well. There's no indication that it's really more severe. There's just a lot of infections recently. 
And then the, the, the risk of, of severe disease, the risk of getting into ICU is way, way higher for older adults. Of course, if, if there's a lot of infections in middle-aged adults, then uh, a tiny fraction of them would be a little bit more severe. But there's no indication in the data that this wave is any that the infections in this wave are any more severe than in previous waves. There's no indication the virus has changed. Okay. It's just a numbers game that if you have thousands of people infected, then a very small number could could have a more severe infection. And that's that's why we're trying so hard to, to stay on top of transmission okay. and to keep the numbers low. Danny, thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. still here. Yeah, Dan Van Hoy, thank you very much indeed for, 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 for calling. Uh, uh, Tommy has a comment on uh, Facebook, a question we'd just like to slip in for Professor Cowling. Uh, does Professor Cowling support the restrictions on restaurants? Does it make any sense to have them close at six? Is that when the virus is more active? Does it make any sense where much of the population is travelling in crowded conditions on the MTR and on buses every day? A question from Tommy for you, Professor Cowling. Yeah, so I, I I, I certainly would advocate for reducing crowding, and I was disappointed when in public transport um, that the buses reduced the service frequency because there were less passengers, and that's defeating the objective of um, reducing crowding. And the same way for restaurants, if we ask them to, to stop dining at, at 6 p.m., there'll be more crowding before then. I, I would actually prefer a policy where we reduce the capacity to, say, 50% capacity at most, and strictly enforce it, and then have 24-hour dining. I think that would be much a much better way to reduce crowding in restaurants. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Professor uh, Ben Cowling there from the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And thank you to the President of the Hong Kong Medical Association, Dr Gabriel Choi. We're going to be joined uh, by uh, another uh, expert after the news at nine. We're also going to be talking about uh, a survey looking at uh, heated tobacco products, whether they help you uh, help people give up uh, smoking uh, or not. Uh, drop us a line, backchat.rthk.hk, with your thoughts and your comments. The weather, mainly cloudy, with some sunny intervals. The reading's now 21 Celsius, and the relative humidity is at 86%. Avoiding the worst disruption in the event of a no-deal. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and me, Hugh Chivit. And uh, we've been talking in the first part of the programme about uh, aspects of uh, COVID-19 in Hong Kong and the uh, measures, compulsory testing, what's happening in the buildings, uh, sports centres and so on. Uh, we're going to continue that now. And uh, we're also going to be talking before 9.30 about uh, heated tobacco uh, products, a uh, study by the uh, School of Nursing in Hong Kong, looking at whether they actually help people to uh, give up smoking, whether they're a better alternative. Uh, well, as I say, we'll be dealing with that uh, towards the end of the programme. Now, uh, just before we get back to uh, our main topic today, uh, aspects of COVID and uh, relief measures, uh, just a couple of uh, interesting uh, emails related to our discussion uh, yesterday, um, which was with Father Christmas. Uh, CW says... Uh, an important point, going forward in future years, will Father Christmas be required to swear allegiance? Thank you very much. Indeed. Nice one. for that. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, do you want to maybe... Yes, and uh, on a slightly different, also on yesterday's um, show, but uh, not directly on uh, Father Christmas, uh, or not on Father Christmas at all, uh, Bowen, and so yesterday's discussion on happiness, uh, Bowen says... The comment of the Singapore, Singaporean commentator that Hugh cited yesterday about Asians being hard, hardwired to enjoy striving and struggling is a myth. Maybe the truth is that they've had to work hard to achieve a certain level of success. 
in order to enjoy a better standard of living. After all, relative affluence was attained only quite recently by their forebears, in the case of Singaporeans and Hong Kongers, in the latter part of the last century. But that doesn't mean things like the feeling that one is in charge of one's life and in control of one's destiny, which Hugh neatly summarised in another show as being what yesterday's guests were agreed on as being the secret of the Scandinavians' um, secret of happiness. That doesn't mean those things have no relevance to them. Reference is made to Abraham Maslow's uh, need hierarchy. Paul Yip, in effect, pointed out yesterday that young Hong Kongers now suffer from a double whammy of being increasingly unable to satisfy their lower-level needs due to the disappearance of economic opportunities and huge income disparity, as well as having the opportunity of satisfying their higher-level needs, such as political participation and quality of life, taken away from them. Thank you very much, Bowen. Magnus, in an email on uh, COVID, says again, misleading headlines to start the show. As Professor Cowling uh, points out, many of the alarming increase in untraceable cases are not, in fact, untraceable. Furthermore, where is the alarming increase, please? Over the past two weeks, there has been 20 to 35 local cases daily with no discernible increase. Referencing Hong Kong news analysis, the transmission rate peaked mid-November at around three, uh, so started falling almost four weeks ago to under one in early December, i.e. the outbreak actually receding at that point. And yet our government continues to ratchet up restrictions, mirroring the pattern of July-August of always fighting yesterday's battles. If these measures make sense now, then they made ten times the sense three weeks ago, when on November the 22nd we had 68 cases, 11 of which were local, i.e. that was the signal. Why wait to act until now? Assuming you believe in the efficacy of all these restrictions, if implemented back in November the 22nd, patently the outbreak would have been much smaller and dealt with by now. If going to act, act at the start, not the end. By the way, I notice the LCSD have done a great job of taping off playing fields and outdoor gyms within Happy Valley Racetrack. Jake, great job, guys. Same number of people packed into a dramatically smaller space. Makes so much sense, particularly when it is well understood that this is an indoor disease. Pathetic. That comes uh, from Magnus. We're now joined by Professor Ivan Hung uh, of the Lee Ka-shing uh, Faculty of Medicine, also Hong Kong U's uh, Chief of Infectious Diseases Division. Uh, Professor Hung, good morning. Good morning. Now, um, you just heard one of our, our listeners wondering whether the, some of the concern is overblown. In the first half of the show, um, Professor Benjamin Cowling was also suggesting that maybe the number of infections will start to fall next week. Uh, what's your view on that? Well, I agree with, uh, with Ben's uh, opinion that um, we are expecting, hopefully, the number of new new, new diagnosed cases to go down, uh, hopefully within a week's time. Uh, although we are still having more than 100 cases, new cases a day, nevertheless, with the infection control measures in place, uh, and of course, we have been, uh, you know, admitting and hospitalizing all the confirmed cases and treating them very quickly. So we expect the number to fall, uh, perhaps in a week's time, uh, just before Christmas. It's, quite, it's, it's sort of a contrast. It seems very alarming at the moment, and you see um, so housing blocks being evacuated, compulsory testing, but at the same time, people like you and Ben look, looking at the figures, I don't, don't exactly say optimistic, but you see sort of light at the end of the tunnel, maybe is the right way to put it? Yes, uh, it's, it's a long tunnel, but we see light at the end. Um, what we're seeing is actually, we're seeing the curve, the number of new cases actually plateauing. So um, it's staying at 100 new cases a day. So with that, without further increase in the newly diagnosed numbers, so we expect uh, once it's plateaued, 
hopefully with the infection control measures in place, then it will start falling uh, after like a week's time. And Professor Cowling was saying, and uh, uh, the, the listener refers to that as well, a lot of these untraceable cases are not really untraceable at all. It's just that um, the, the government hasn't yet been able to confirm the uh, the trace, but that many of them are traced later and they, they ha- have a, a rough idea of how they, they're linked. Uh, yes, I, I agree with that as well, because... Um, what happened is that some of the cases, in fact, um, uh, have been there, but somehow they may not be able to get contact with that person, uh, or somehow that person has uh, has moved to other places or whatever. So uh, it's, it's not a matter of non-traceable. It's a matter of when they're actually able to trace that person, when, they, when they're able to track them down. So there may be some delayed in, in, in a few days, and as a result, if you're not able to track them down very quickly, then again, they will be in the community and there will be a risk of uh, spreading the virus to other people. I, I, I don't know how closely you've been following the figures, but there seem to be some disagreement. I mean, sorry, press reports talk about um, uh, an increase in the number of uh, traceable cases, untraceable cases, so-called untraceable cases, uh, in the past week. Uh, but then we had Magnus there in an email saying that's not the case. It, it, has there been an increase? Is, um, because that would be a worrying sign, wouldn't it? Do you know, uh, is there a substantial rise in the number of those uh, cases where the uh, immediate contact is not apparent? Well, I think they're still doing the work. So mm. it's the numbers, we are not very sure about the exact number in terms of the untraceable cases. Uh, nevertheless, as I said, it's, it's a matter of time when they're able to track them down. So... If it's untraceable today, then perhaps if you wait for a few more days, then they will be so-called traceable as such. Okay, now I'm sure what a lot of parents are asking. I mean, next week we're going to be going into the uh, into sort of the second full week of December. So, um, schools are meant to resume uh, essentially. Most local schools resuming um, uh, two to three weeks later. Do, do you think schools will be going back in early January, or is this um, are learning from home going to be continuing for a while yet? The, uh, if we're able to get the numbers down to, say, like below 50 or hopefully below 20 uh, around Christmas time, then uh, I, I presume school will be uh, resumed uh, in Jan, uh, back to normal. And then once that is resumed, then, of course, other uh, activities, including outdoor sports, and um, they will be probably resumed back to normal gradually. OK, let's do a little bit more uh, forecasting. Um you know, if we do get the vaccines uh, later next year, c- can we look forward to, what, another nine months of this kind of stop-start, schools opening, schools closing, you know, n- measures being relaxed, numbers going up, measures being tightened again? Well, we, we hope to have the, uh, the, the vaccine um, coming in much quicker rather than uh, at the latter part of the year, uh, hopefully in the first or the second quarter, uh, at least gradually. So hopefully we'll be able to vaccinate our healthcare workers and also with the, uh, the elderly people first uh, and then gradually once the, uh, the number of vaccine becomes available then we can vaccinate the rest of the population. Okay. Uh, important of course is that you look at UK and US they're already vaccinating uh, you know uh, uh, in groups uh, very quickly the healthcare workers elderly population so uh, we expect probably they will have finished the vaccination uh, you know probably by May or June next year. Uh, and if, the, if that's the case, then it will be, uh, hopefully we'll be able to resume the so-called normality 
uh, much quicker. Okay. An email from Anorak who says, Professor Cowling has been the epitome of frankness when addressing the COVID issues. Was this continued in his saying this morning that vaccine availability in mid-summer 2021 and into 2022 equally frank? Earlier this year, there was a supply issue for marks for masks and PPE. Is the vaccine situation similar? That comes from uh, Anorak, uh, as I say. What do we actually know about vaccine availability in, in, in Hong Kong, uh, Professor Hong? Well, uh, I think the, the government is definitely, uh, uh, you know, actively purchasing the vaccine. But I think uh, all the countries in the world are doing the same thing. So uh, it's a matter of uh, prioritizing to vaccinate the, uh, uh, the at-risk individuals, of course, including healthcare workers and elderly and those with uh, chronic uh, illnesses uh, will be the priorities. Um, so if you're able to vaccinate these at-risk group first, then obviously you will be able to, uh, at a better position to, you know, uh, uh, opening up uh, businesses and resuming things sure. back to normal. What, what's happening with the China vaccine? Because we haven't heard very much lately. What's the situation? Well, I think um, we are still, again, waiting for the, the, uh, the, the results or the full reports to be published. Uh, from the Chinese vaccine. It's not only the Chinese vaccine, it's including, of course, the, the Pfizer, uh, the Moderna, uh, or the AstraZeneca vaccine. They're all waiting for the final reports. Uh, there have been press release of these results, but uh, it's, it's the final report that we are looking forward to seeing. Uh, and of course, we are still lacking is the long-term data, those data beyond six months, uh, you know, the, the antibody response in six months or 12 months. And those will be important to see whether you need to get revaccinated, like influenza vaccine, every year. Is that possible that we're going to have to get used to the fact that um, COVID nineteen vaccination will be an annual vaccination, just like flu vaccines? Uh, yes, I think it will be the most likely situation. It will be an annual vaccination because we see the antibody actually dropping, and also the virus actually uh, mutate quite quickly, uh, and and as a result, the uh, the the, the antigen of the vaccine needs to be changed probably every year. Is there any possibility it could be combined with the flu vaccine as a two-in-one shot? Or yes, we... I think uh, several uh, you know, pharmaceuticals are actually investigating whether we could put the, uh, the flu and also the coronavirus uh, antigen together in one vaccine. And it will be the likely uh, uh, way forward so that it will be one vaccine probably with two to uh, you know, several viruses combined together. So that's the hope. It might take a year or two to get there, but that's the long-term hope that uh, life will go back to pretty much as before. You take one vaccine a year, but just that vaccine's covering more things than before. Uh, indeed, that will probably be the long-term uh, things that we'll be looking forward to. OK, now, uh, probably a later day, but certainly soon, we're expecting an announcement from the uh, government about the uh, new quarantine uh, measures for um, arrivals from overseas, uh, designated hotels and designated transport. Uh, uh, how important do you think that is? Well, I think that is extremely important because uh, uh, if people have been uh, carrying the viruses uh, and then, of course, they, they may not be, uh, you know, they, they so-called being uh, uh, so-called carrying a low viral uh, level and then they escape the, the first so-called, um, um, you know, containment or the screening, then they will still be uh, uh, at risk of passing the viruses during the transportation uh, to the hotel. And of course, previously, people are allowed to to have a very short period of time to, to you know, to go out and buy things before they actually go into the so-called uh, hotel quarantine as such. So 
uh, with the designated transportation before entering the designated hotel, it will be uh, it will be so called much better and uh, and and preventing the virus from leaking in the community during that uh, you know uh, short period of time. So uh, that should have, in fact, have been done probably much earlier. Yes, I was going to ask about that. You look at places like Australia; they've been doing that since February, Absolutely. and they they use yes. the army to escort people to hotels. So why has it taken us so long? Uh, don't know. I think it's it's, it's difficult. Um, uh, I think from the government perspective, is the to to designate the hotel in the first place, uh, and only if you designate the hotel, then you can arrange this, the transportation. But I think that should be done much earlier rather than, uh, you know, starting from the 22nd of December. Okay, some uh, comments from listeners. Uh, JK just says, a simple question, does Carrie Lam care? Uh, Andrew says, uh, daily figures used to be listed, stating the number of preliminary cases within the whole figure until a month or so ago. Are these hundred or so figures being reported daily for the past few days now all confirmed cases? Uh, let's not forget that up to 10 of these daily 100 cases are usually stepping off a plane from other parts of the world. So several of the days recently have actually been under uh, 100. That comes uh, from... I think Andrew. they changed the way they calculate them a, a month or two ago, and they, they, they use a different cut-off time during the day. They also suggest the number of preliminary date cases for the following day. That's why I was able to mention that they're, they're talking about preliminary cases of 50 that will be reported perhaps with a few more today. Okay. Uh, okay, this is from Matthew who says, uh, I'm happy to report that at Lama's Hongxingye Beach, where the LCSD toilets were closed together with the beach last time, and hikers were urinating and defecating behind the toilet block, that this time the beach and shower facilities have closed, but the toilets remain open. This is a result of a concerted effort together by residents, the Rural Committee, Islands District Office and LCSD to find a more sensible approach. Hopefully it continues. That comes uh, from uh, Matthew. And uh, Magnus uh, says uh, there is... Uh, on COVID stats for Hugh, there's lots of data. It's publicly available, straightforward data. Five minutes analysis show how misleading stroke alarmist almost everything is about this here. Please check for yourself. And there's a link to the uh, CHP uh, website. So it's the figures from uh, chp.gov.hk, which have the figures on the uh, on the local situation and a real-time dashboard uh, if you want to uh, check that out. Um, uh, Professor Hong, maybe just finally back to the, back to the uh, crystal ball. Um, I think we've had, um, I think it was the UN actually just saying um, this shouldn't be, what's happened with COVID, um, it's not really a one-off, that this could, even when we've got the vaccine and this is all over and maybe it's a year from now or something like that, this could easily just all happen all over again. Do you, do you agree with that? And if so, is there something we've got yes, a fundamental change? Yes, I absolutely chance? agree with that. Mm. Uh, I think from time to time we see outbreaks from both influenza and coronaviruses. So we expect the coronaviruses would keep on so-called, you know, mutating. And um, especially the, uh, the virus in the nature uh, among the bats and the wild animals, they will probably somehow jump into humans uh, if given the opportunity. So the important thing, of course, is to prevent this from happening by, of course, stopping the, uh, you know, the, the, the live animals from uh, being wild animals from being sold in the market, in the wet market. Uh, and this is probably the most important thing mm. of all.
Okay. Well, uh, Professor Hung, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, Ivan Hung there, who's the Ru Chien and Helen Lee, uh, Professor in Health Sciences Pedagogy at the Li Ka-shing Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong, Chief of Infectious Disease Division. Thank you very much indeed for, for joining us, and thank you very much indeed to all the interesting comments and questions from uh, listeners as well. 21 and minutes. Generally, a slightly more optimistic note coming from our health experts this morning, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. They, 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 well, let's see, but they, but they seem to think things will get better. Mm. Fingers crossed. Uh, okay, uh, finally today we wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, the issue of uh, smoking and uh, uh, an announcement of uh, a study uh, put together by the, uh, with uh, staff from the University of Hong Kong uh, researching heated tobacco uh, products and coming to the conclusion that they, couldn't, they do not help smokers to quit smoking. Uh, we're joined now by uh, one of those uh, involved, Kelvin Wang, Associate Professor in the School of Nursing at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Professor Wang, good morning to you. Hi, thanks so much indeed for joining us. First of all, could you clarify, when you talk about heated tobacco products, what does that include? What does that mean? Yeah, we uh, sort of include the, um, you know, the uh, those uh, top, new tobacco products, which is using the um, non-conventional cigarettes, and they did not burn the cigarette, they just put it in the machine, and then to heat those uh, cigarettes uh, for smoking. Uh, for example, is uh, talking about a product from the um, uh, large uh, tobacco company called iCos. Uh, how, is, is, it how same, popular, sorry, is it the same as vaping? Is it the same as vaping? Uh, it's a little bit different from the electronic cigarette. Okay. If you are talking about the uh, vaping product for electronic cigarette, it's actually really uh, using the uh, cigarette for uh, smoking, but that cigarette is not a conventional cigarette. It's a specially designed cigarette. Uh, how popular are they now? Yep, in the uh, Hong Kong, it's not quite popular. The preference of uh, using this HTB is less than 1%. Uh, and but overseas or yeah in the overseas is uh, the preference is higher it's roughly around 10 to you know uh, uh, 10 something percent uh, particularly in the japan and the um, korea the preference is quite high now there, as far as i i can see there's there's conflicting evidence about whether these are these are safer than the conventional cigarettes or not yep um it is uh, definitely not safe uh, uh, at all. Uh, although the uh, Food and Drug uh, Authority in the U.S., FDA, has said that uh, it is kind of the modified exposure, but actually it's not risk uh, reduction. Uh, as the tobacco company applied for the risk reduction, it's not approved by the FDA. Okay, now, I mean, there was a, there was a press conference yesterday, you, you joined that. Um, you're quite concerned at the suggestion that these heated tobacco products, um, that people think that they can help with quitting smoking altogether. Yes, we uh, because we have really have the local evidence to show that um, you know uh, we uh, survey uh, more than one thousand smokers and follow them for uh, six months, and then we check whether they quit or not quit uh, among those who used uh, heated tobacco product and non-heated tobacco product, and we found out that the quitting rate are similar between the two groups. Okay, and you want the um, you want the legislative council to pass a bill to to ban them altogether? Yes. But why? I mean, why if they're, they're certainly no more dangerous, maybe a little bit less dangerous than conventional cigarettes, why, why ban them altogether? No, I don't think it is less dangerous because it's apparently not approved by the FDA. They are not uh, approved the risk reduction. OK, but they're uh, not more dangerous. I mean, you're not banning conventional cigarettes. Why, why ban these? Uh, we all also uh, advocate to uh, totally ban all tobacco products, including conventional cigarettes, including heated tobacco products. 
So, sorry, you said so you followed these thousand people and um, the people who used heated tobacco products. They didn't. They were no more successful. Were they actually the same as people who didn't use them? They were quite similar. Hmm. So would it be more accurate to say it doesn't make any difference? No uh, difference, I think. Yeah, not that it yeah. not that it makes it harder or easier, but it doesn't make any difference if you it use. It probably make it even more harder because uh, you can just imagine if they are using the heated tobacco product and also the conventional cigarette together, they actually add up the nicotine level uh, when they are smoking. Hmm. Let's clarify again that the proposal before the Legislative Council, the Smoking Public Health Amendment Bill, is to ban alternative smoking products like electronic cigarettes and heated tobacco products. It's not to ban conventional smoking, is it? Yes, yes. So, again, why do you want to ban... I, these products are... They, they, they may not be safer, but they're not more dangerous than uh, ordinary cigarettes. Why, why do you want to ban these, these products when ordinary ci people can use ordinary we, cigarettes instead? We actually have the uh, very successful experience in the early 90s when we banned the chewing tobacco. At that time, we banned it totally. So there, nowadays, there's no one using this uh, tobacco product. If we do not ban this heated uh, tobacco product now, I think it will become more uh, prevalent in the future. And this product actually really contains harmful uh, substance and also cannot help quitting at all. As you were saying earlier, at the moment, very, very few people are using this product in Hong Kong. So I, I, your, your strategy is you want to ban it before it becomes more widespread? Yeah, it's because we now it's not, you know, uh, if you are selling the uh, the, uh, the uh, heated tobacco product, you need to have the text for the cigarette also. But nowadays it is not very popular because this product uh, company, they are not promoting it uh, now. But if we have said that, if we regulate this uh, HTP, then they can open the door for them to really promote uh, the product in Hong Kong. Then at that time, it will become very popular. Do you want to uh, outlaw all cigarettes, outlaw tobacco in Hong Kong? Yes, we want to ban all products in Hong Kong. But that's a long-term goal, surely? Uh, I think if we can uh, lower the preference of smoking in Hong Kong, we should ban it uh, at that time. Okay, well, we were talking about COVID-19 uh, earlier. I mean, how much difference has COVID-19 made? Because, of course, um, the government has refused to exempt um, smoking from the reasons why you can take off your face mask. Is, is there any evidence that um, uh, COVID-19, the fact we all have to wear face masks, is contributing to uh, people giving up smoking? Uh, we do not see there's a large change in the smoking uh, due to this COVID uh, preference, but we do see that, uh, as, as in the yesterday press conference, we do see that uh, some uh, heated tobacco users, they actually shift to smoke at home, and the preference is higher than those who are having the uh, conventional cigarettes. So this is also a concern. They think that the uh, heated tobacco is less harmful and less older, and so they shift to use it in home, but this actually causes the secondhand smoke exposure to their family, also to their neighborhood. And you say they shift to using at home. Is that because of the issue about when, when you're outside home, you're supposed to yes. be wearing a face mask all the time? Yes, yes. Okay, so do, do, do they smell and produce smoke in the way that uh, ordinary cigarettes do? No, they is uh, less, uh, you know, obvious. Hmm. So it's more sort of acceptable indoors. It's something yes. you could do in, yes. indoors yes. without. But actually, it's the, actually, there's some study also found that they produce the secondhand smoke, and the harmful effect is quite similar to conventional cigarettes. Now, you're aware the Legislative Council, its term has already been extended. It's, uh, um, it's expected to end uh, this summer, at, at yeah. least in theory, that um, an election will take place in September. Is there really any realistic chance of passing this bill before then? I don't know. It is, all depends on the legislature.
Mm. When you looked at these thousand, uh, you said there was no difference between people who are using the HTPs and those those that weren't. Did you did you look at what the most successful uh, people did? Uh, what came out of this study as the recommendation? If people do want to give up smoking, uh, what's the best yeah. way? So I think we also in yesterday's press conference, we also clearly said that, you know, if you use the current smoking cessation services, the quit rate is significantly higher, 70%, because they have used those evidence-based treatments in our current smoking cessation services. And majority of these services actually are free of charge. Okay, so what's, what do they entail? Sorry, what do, they, what do you do for them? Uh, we actually provide the uh, nicotine replacement therapy and some, uh, you know, uh, medication and also uh, personalized uh, counseling. Okay, the replacement therapy is what, gum or something like that? Nicotine yes. gum yes. or something like that? Yes. Okay, and you find yes. that's the most effective way? Uh, it's gum, medication and counseling. Okay. Okay, well, well uh, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Kelvin Wang, the Associate Professor in the School of Nursing at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, one you. more email uh, to finish off from Umesh, uh, who says, uh, along with Australia, the same system has been in place across the border since February. This is, sorry, this is on quarantine, quarantine transportation. Yeah. Uh, can't understand why the idiots in Hong Kong governing didn't notice it. Some cities offered two choices of room rates, two, 300 RMB or 500 RMB per night. Uh, these hotels are completely closed off to outsiders, although delivery can be left at shelves built outside an area outside the hotel and are promptly sent to the room by staff in hazmat suits. All hotel amenities are left outside every door on a daily basis with garbage, bedding, towel collection also provided. Those observations from... Uh, I think we're going to see something very similar. But a good question about why it didn't happen sooner in Hong Kong. Well, Umesh, thank you very much indeed. Danny, thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the uh, weekend. The weather is kind of so-so. Uh, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals, and temperatures up to about uh, 24 degrees. Uh, the outlook, uh, it's going to be milder uh, during the day, the next couple of days. Uh, temperatures dropping significantly during the day. Next Monday, rather cool mornings on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Wednesday. 21 degrees, the latest readings, relative humidity, 85%. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. 931, the news with Pierre Tremblay. The Toilet Association says most buildings in Hong Kong have the same sewage system as Block 6 of Richland Gardens after a government advisor said the coronavirus may be spreading via the sewage piping system there, infecting seven residents. The association's vice chairman, Henry Hong, said 95% of buildings have only one pipe installed for sewage and feces. A panel of experts in the United States has endorsed the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine for emergency use. It paves the way for approval by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, which could come in a few days. And Britain's Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said there's a strong possibility his government will not reach a post-Brexit trade deal with the European Union before the current transition ends in three weeks' time. That would see the re-imposition of tariffs on World Trade Organization terms. More news at 10. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven. That's why I oh so shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder.
founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for adults, it's not really for kids. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Inter interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you. Welcome to Friday. We got there in the end. Well, understandably, all of our chefs are out chasing turkeys today. So, let's talk music after ten. As we all know, Christmas songs can be a bit hit and miss, but everyone has their favourites, let's face it. Going to meet some musicians between now and Christmas to ask them to choose three and, of course, play them on air. Joining us today is the one and only Chris B from Underground. Funny feeling she's going to choose something by Slade, but once that's done, embargo comes down. Ten past eleven this morning, Danny Hicks brings you a very special sports and all. He's going to be talking to Hong Kong mixed martial arts fighter Ramona Pasquale. Now, apart from being somebody who one wouldn't really want to mess with, she's also a great inspirational speaker, having given a fascinating TED talk a couple of years ago on human fear. And it's Friday, so after 12, we're off to James Marsh's couch for this week's movie reviews and ideas, including Mank, Sound of Metal, the 40-year-old version, and more. Do join us on Facebook Live throughout if you can. <laughs> <laughs> 